Good morning, everybody. So as you know, we're in a sermon series, and we are looking at what it means to live in the upside-down, uh, ever-expanding kingdom of God. Uh, and this week, we're going to be looking at humility. Okay. Philip Yancey wrote this about humility. Before Jesus, almost no pagan author had used humble as a compliment. Yet the events of Christmas point inescapably to what seems like an oxymoron, a humble God. The God who came to earth came not in a raging whirlwind, nor in a devouring fire. Unimaginably, the maker of all things shrank down, 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 so small as to become an ovum, a single fertilized egg, barely visible to the naked eye, an egg that would divide and redivide until a fetus took shape, enlarging cell by cell inside a nervous teenager. Immensity cloistered in thy dear womb, marveled the poet John Donne. He made himself nothing, he humbled himself, said the Apostle Paul, more prosaically, in the passage that Nate just read to us. So how should we respond to Jesus' example of humility? How should this inform our actions and behaviours and mindset as we seek to follow Jesus day by day in the kingdom of God? So um, we're in the book of Philippians, uh, written by Paul. Um, he was in Rome at the time, towards the end of his life. He was imprisoned. It's maybe his most personal letter, and one full of heartfelt joy to the believers he loved dearly uh, at Philippi. And he writes in light of his own circumstances, because obviously life is pretty harsh for him. And they know that. The church in Philippi know that. But he wants to encourage them to find joy in the midst of their difficulties and afflictions and brokenness. And to be like him. And the word joy appears countless times, 18 times across four chapters in this book. It's a joy-filled book. And beginning in chapter 2, Paul exhorts the church to unity and selflessness as a body. In the two verses just before the one that Nate read to us, we read... Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. And then we have these beautiful words in Philippians 2, uh, 5 to 11, that again underscore humility as the defining characteristic of the incarnate Christ, and the one that his followers should most seek to emulate. So, humility is important. Uh, I'm just going to look at humility from a number of different angles. So I'm going to start just by looking straight at the passage. What can we take from the passage? And I've got a few other sort of ways of getting into this theme of humility and what does it mean for us as we live day by day in God's kingdom. So firstly, the passage. It seems to me there are sort of three um, steps or movements in this passage. Uh, the per first movement uh, is one of renunciation. Okay, so 
God, as Jesus renunciates, he gives up his right, uh, his right to the rights of being God. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. He gave this all up, becoming a servant made in human likeness. Let's remember what rights they were. Remember in the book of John, so the start of John's gospel, sorry, the start of John's gospel, we have uh, Jesus was in the beginning, uh, Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. In Colossians, Paul writes, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So he gave all of this up. Uh, and he uses this very expressive, expressive term. He emptied himself. He emptied himself completely. He poured himself out like a bucket and pouring out all of the contents so nothing is left inside. And I think this is maybe for us where humility begins, the readiness to lay aside our own rights and sense of entitlement. And we live in such an entitled world these days. We all feel we're entitled to this and that, to respect and honour and wealth and status. But I think Jesus' encouragement is to give that up, to not demand that right, to renounce our entitlement, our sense of entitlement. And Jesus, yeah, that's what he came to show us, didn't he? He came to show us that the secret of an abundant life is total dependence on an indwelling God, not on our status or comfort or wealth, or rights. So the second movement, the first movement is, is renunciating rights. The second movement uh, is humiliation. We read, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. So he assumed all the indignity, the injury and the hurt, all the rejection of an unbelieving world, uh, and I think the key thing here is he did it without complaining. There was no complaint here. And then he suffered the crowning indignity of all when he was stripped naked and nailed to a cross and ridiculed. An outcast, even to death on a cross, as we read in the passage. I can't feel Paul is writing to the Philippians. He say, well, look, when you feel abused when you want to self-assert, or when you're tempted to withdraw from relationships, or when you're cross with others, remember what Jesus did. And remember, he did it without complaining. He, uh, he accepted humiliation without complaint. Maybe we need to remember that when we feel that desire to, uh, to, to not put up with injury, to speak back when we've been aggravated or insulted? How do we put up with insults and accept the cost of others' wrongdoing as Jesus did? And the third movement we have in this passage is then exaltation. Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So it feels like this movement from, uh, from renunciation of our rights to then accepting humiliation without complaining 
And then it's in that place that God works powerfully to exalt, to bring peace, to bring reconciliation. That's when God's power begins to work to bring peace and shalom. So we looked at the passage. What about Jesus? What did Jesus have to say about humility? Well, unsurprisingly, uh, he seems to see it as maybe the best measure of our readiness to live life in the kingdom. So the disciples were asking him in Matthew 18, um, so who's the greatest? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The first beatitude at the, uh, at the opening of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Later on in Matthew, he writes, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I just remember the last thing he did with his disciples when they were all together in the upper room, washing his disciples' feet. The one last example he gave them of how to live. What else can we say about humility? Well, I think if we start thinking about it, I think humility might be best characterized as simply not thinking about ourselves at all. That's self-emptying. Maybe one way to think about pride is to think about its opposite. So I think about how, one way to think about humility is to think about its opposite, pride. And its importance to God. You know, so pride, what is pride? It is... Uh, self-centeredness, it's self-promotion, self-rule, self-exaltation, self-indulgence, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency. And there's a lot of that around in the world today. Humility is the opposite of that. Uh, Archbishop William Temple um, at the sort of, uh, I think in the 20s wrote this, 1920s. Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself, than other people, than of other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself one way or the other at all. C.S. Lewis has one of the best known um, statements, explanations of humility. He wrote this, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seems a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anybody would like to acquire humility, I think I can tell him the first step. The first step is this, to realize that one is proud. 
And that's a biggish step too. At least nothing whatever can be done before it, nothing. If you think you're not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. I find those very very challenging words to hear. So think of two jars. So it comes to my my, uh, illustration. Um, So imagine these two jars. What they depict is our minds, okay? So this jar here, it's full. Our minds get full. they, They have a capacity. This mind here is full of thoughts that are all about myself. It's a bit murky. I tried to make it murky. I added a bit of Ribena, and it sort of came out brown. So those are the murky thoughts. That that is the mind filled with self, with thinking of self. And this one represents somebody whose mind is full of thinking and acting for others and for God. Okay, so this is for self, and this is for others and God. And I think the idea here is... What is our mind full of? What's it at capacity with? Is it like this or is it more like this? I think this is the world of pride. This is the world of humility. So more of that in a moment. What else can we say about humility? Well, when we go and sit at the feet of the church fathers uh, and even the present-day church leaders, what we find again and again uh, is this idea that humility is the foundation of our faith and of life in the kingdom. The foundation, even. St. Augustine was not exaggerating, I think, when he wrote that almost the whole of Christian teaching boils down to humility. Humility, he said, is the foundation of all the other virtues, in the soul in which this virtue does not exist, there cannot be any other virtue except in mere appearance, cosmetics. Martin Luther said, humility alone saves. St. Thomas Aquinas said, uh, talked about how um, humility, whilst it's not the most important virtue, he would have said charity or love is, and I think I'd agree, But he said it is the beginning of all Christian virtue because without humility, we cannot be in a position of openness to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And since supernatural virtues are bestowed by the Holy Spirit, without humility, we cannot live lives of Christian holiness. And Pope Francis said those who are filled with themselves like this have no space for God. It is no overstatement, I think, for us to say that humility is the gateway to a life of holiness, to life in the kingdom. I'd like us to just have a go at an exercise. I always like giving, you know, just a bit of group work or individual work. So I'd like you to think for a moment uh, about somebody... Oh, that's my daughter ringing me. (laughs) who should be listening online, not calling me. Uh, Let me just turn down the volume, Um, whatever that is. Hopefully she will not call back. Um, There we go. Um, 
an exercise. I'd like you to think. Um, she's trying to call me again. <laughs> um, I think I need to switch off my iPads. Put it on. Uh, there we go. Oh, she's cut off. Um, where was I? An exercise. Right. So I'd like you to think about somebody who you think really characterizes humility. So it could be a friend. Uh, it could be somebody in the family. It could be somebody from film. It could be somebody biblical. Anybody who uh, characterizes for you humility. And have a think about one or two qualities that they exhibit. What are they? And you can't think about yourself <laughs> in case you attempted to. So have a think and then maybe turn to a neighbor and just talk about what is that, what is the quality, the characteristic that you notice in people who are humble. Okay, I'll give you a couple of minutes to go and do that. Off you go. Okay, so could we shout out a few characteristics? So what did you notice? You're all talking about something. Sorry? Yeah, they didn't care about themselves. Yeah, fantastic, thank you. Yes? Sorry? Bunnies, thank you. They love animals, maybe we could say. So relied entirely on God. What else? Thank you. Patient with others. Thank you. Others. Showing respect, deep respect of others. They listen. Okay, thank you. So I thought about my mother. Uh, who is, I think, is honestly one of the most selfless people I know, almost to a fault. Um, just, just almost just never thinks about herself at all in a way that's almost a problem. Um, just endlessly pouring herself out and noticing and seeing others. Um, but we were chatting around our dinner table last night about this and um, we started talking about Sam Ganji in Lord of the Rings, who selflessly follows Frodo uh, across Middle-earth and is always entirely focused on others and serving others. And it's, you know, as I thought about this, you know, the, 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 the things I had was they don't argue when someone points out a flaw or an error. They don't worry about who gets the credit. They ask, seek, uh, they're always looking for help from others, admitting they don't know everything. They admit when they're wrong they ask questions, they listen, they're curious about others. 
They apologize freely. They thank people authentically and openly. So how do we cultivate uh, this kind of humility? It's going back to C.S. Lewis's uh, sort of the sting in the tail of that little passage where he said, if anybody would like to uh, acquire humility, I can tell him, I think the first step, the first step is to realize that one is proud. And a bigger step too, at least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you are, think you're not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. So I thought I'd better go away and do a quiz. So I, I went Googling and found a quiz uh, that was basically going to help me figure out, am I humble? And the question was, are you humble? Take this quiz. Seven questions to figure out if you're humble. And so I thought, okay, I'll give that a go. The first question was, if I ever sit in business class on the plane, which doesn't happen a lot these days, A, I feel right where I belong, not back with the masses. B, I feel like I'm not really important enough to be here. C, I enjoy it but realize it doesn't say much, it doesn't say anything about who I am. Or D, I try to think, drink as much alcohol as I possibly can before I get off the plane. Uh, the second question, I'm going to go through them all, but the second question was when my friend tells me that I'm driving too close to the car in front, has that any, anybody ha ever happened here? It certainly happens to me all the time. Um, uh, I admit that she's right and slow down. Answer A. Answer B. I feel that it's none of their business. C. I get angry and drive even closer to prove that I can do it. Or D. I think she said it because she drives like an old person. Okay, so I went through all of these, and I think the, with this one, it's slightly tongue-in-cheek, and the answers were pretty obvious what the right answers were. And it said, result, across my screen, it said, result, supremely humble, exclamation mark, you are Eleanor Roosevelt. Uh, so I thought, okay, that's great. So then I thought, okay, let's go away and try a bit harder. This felt like it was a bit, uh, bit tongue-in-cheek. Let's get a bit more serious about this. So Pope Francis was speaking the other day, or the other, other year, um, and he gave the people who are speaking to him, here are three questions for you to ask yourself to figure out just how humble you really are. First question, do I want to be recognized by others to affirm myself and to be praised, or do I think mainly about serving others? Secondly, do I know how to listen deeply to other people, or do I mainly want to talk and get my own mind across? C, I know how to take a back step I know how to step back, diffuse quarrels and arguments, or do I always want to win them? Uh, it's got me thinking about more questions in this vein. Um, so I started thinking, how much time do I actually think about myself, my needs, my wants, my desires? How much of my thinking time is full of me and what I need? How much time is, thinking, is absorbed thinking about what will benefit me, what will reflect on me, what will affect me and my life? And it's, it's quite a lot of time. <laughs> Don't know about you. What do I do when somebody wrongs me? How do I treat people, especially those who I think have violated my own sense of, righteous, of, of right and entitlement? You know, I'm entitled to a bit of respect around here. I'm entitled to a bit of comfort, a bit of honor, being listened to, 
How do I react then? How often do I tend to criticize and judge other people, assume the worst behind their motivations, jump to conclusions about family, about friends, but also about people I read about in the media? How often do I get bothered when I do something that I think is good or clever or notable and do not receive credit for it? I think Jesus' challenge in all of these is to renounce that and to do and to accept humiliation without complaining. That's challenging. So I don't score very well when I take when I take the quiz that is asking the right questions, I don't do well at all. So what do we do? Well, remember the vases. So this get, takes me to my little illustration. So over here we've got the vase that is full of a mind that is thinking about self. And over here we've got a uh, some, each of these beads, imagine them as a, as a beautiful thought or action that is orientated to other people and to God, okay? So the challenge is, how do we get rid of a mind that is full of thinking of self? And I think the challenge is we don't do it by focusing on trying to be more humble. We know that doesn't work. It's, it's difficult to just say, I'm going to stop thinking about myself, it's really hard. Uh, so I think the answer is to focus on this, okay? To focus on doing the things, acting, the things that are actually focused on other people. And the more we do this, imagine each of these is an act of selfless love and kindness to someone else or to God. And as we do it, what happens? It displaces self-centeredness. So what can we do? What are some of these things that we can do? I mean, I think when we start thinking creatively about it, we'll all come up with loads of things that we can do. The point is, what are the deliberate practices? That's why the spiritual life is all about practice. It's about practicing things. It's, you know, we gather here at church, not, a, not like a cinema or a theater, we're here, this is a gym. We're learning to practice things that are gonna help us become more like Jesus. So what are some of the things we can practice, those, those beautiful things that we can do to displace our self-centeredness? Well, there's so many, I'll just read a few just before I close, just to get you thinking, but we can, we can practice reading and meditating on God's word because then we discover that we are loved unconditionally. We can practice wonder at all of creation. I love lying on a lawn in a dark, on a, on a, on a starlit night and looking up at the stars because it reminds me of God's majesty and glory and greatness and my smallness, yet still significance. I love the mountains for the same reasons, one of the reasons we spent a few weeks in in Switzerland earlier this year, some of you know. Practice curiosity about people and the world. 
Well, when somebody maligns you or does something you think is attacking your sense of entitlement, rather than responding or becoming defensive, why not get curious? What's going on here? Put yourself in their shoes. Why did they do that? Get curious about other people in the world. Practice and learn to listen. Listening is an art. It's a skill you can learn. So how do we learn to listen beautifully and brilliantly? Practice gratitude. It's one of the most powerful things is to begin to practice naming the things that we have to be grateful for. And simply focus on other people, on serving and loving others in small and large ways. Ask for help. Practice asking for help. Practice asking others to give you constructive and loving feedback. So those are just some thoughts, but the point is practice them. Practice those beads, do them, and they displace our self-centeredness. So may I close and pray for us. Dear Lord, help us to grow in humility. Show us the things that we can do to practice loving kindness, to practice other-centeredness, to practice love in action. And may these things deplete our self-centeredness and grow our humility. Teach us, good Lord, to serve you as you deserve, to give and to not count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for any reward, save that of knowing that we are doing your will. Amen.